welcome to episode 9 of Finding Your Fearless, a Melbourne Vixens podcast hosted by Joe Weston. Finding Your Fearless is presented by Deakin University. At Deakin University, every single course is backed by industry experts. This means you can get confident you'll get the job you want with a degree employers want. Deakin University, progressive real-world learning. Today, I am joined by Morgan Mitchell, dual Olympian in two different track events. Morgan has had an amazing journey and we talk about the power of goal setting and narrowing your focus to achieve anything you dream of. Away from the track, Morgs works with a multitude of brands and uses fashion as her creative outlet. We discuss how sports uniforms can sometimes stifle self-expression and the impact she wants to leave on the sporting world. Enjoy this chat with Morgan. Morgan, thank you for joining Finding Your Fearless. How are you going today? Um, I'm doing great, Joe. I'm just stuck in quarantine. As we mentioned before, I am loving it because all I'm doing is tanning, so I can't really complain. <laughs> it does look like some of the Olympic athletes are living the dream out at Howard Springs. Um, the sunshine, the space, you've got a bit of fresh air, which is a bit different to hotel quarantine. The downside, though, the lack of Uber Eats. Is that right? hundred percent. I think, like I said, I've done um, both the Sydney quarantine and Howard Springs and they've both got positives and negatives, but I honestly think I'm loving this more because, you know, you can go out and chat with all the other Olympians and have a bit of a laugh. So it's, it's honestly made time go a lot quicker, which is quite nice. I guess because you've been sort of uh, segregated based on events and the timing you were allowed in Tokyo, it's probably nice to have a little bit of a shared experience on the tail end to share stories and I guess reflect on what has been a crazy five years preparation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the funny part, like, you think you're alone in this and then you realise every single person that went to Tokyo and even the ones that were striving for Tokyo, we were all in the same boat straight after Rio, right? Like, mm. we all just thought we'd have this smooth sailing journey to the next Olympics and then obviously with COVID and then for me it was like COVID and injuries and other things. It's quite funny that, you know, prep was a little bit rattled, but it's kind of comforting, I guess, knowing I'm not the only one and that we're all going through it in some way, shape or form, so... Yeah, no, I've, I've met a lot of a lot of new people even on the track team. Oh. <laughs> it's quite embarrassing. Like, you think you know everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's I've made pro- some new friends on the track team. It's probably even harder having been separate vi- like separated via state borders the last however long because you'd probably see people around at nationals or different events. But because, you know, all of those have been cancelled or postponed over the last... 18 months pretty much it seems like you've probably been a bit separate and haven't had like that team Australia experience yeah I think that was the, probably one of the hardest parts right because that's what we all get excited about is coming together as a team finally especially in an in an individual sport um but the good thing is like Tokyo was great I can't lie the organizers did an awesome job getting it across the line and making it happen and team Oz just went above and beyond for all of the athletes to make sure we were comfortable and happy and catered for like we even had our own barista which made a lot of the other countries jealous it was quite funny because like <laughs> i think everyone around the world knows that we've got the best coffee mm. <laughs> you'd see a lot of other countries kind of just like peeking over looking in and seeing what was going on um but yeah no it, you know in the end it was it was all worth it so yeah you're a two-time Olympian now, which is an incredible achievement and in two different events, which is 
even more amazing. But if we <laughs> flashback, I guess, to you as a young child, I knew I know you were very athletic uh, growing up, but you've also got a couple of sisters. So did the three of you play sport together? What sort of got you in, I guess, to athletics and other sports when you were younger? Yeah, um, one. I think I think we're all just naturally very competitive. My two sisters and I, mm. we're all a year apart as well, so we're all you know close in age, and we all have a distinct, like similar interests. Um, but I think from mum being a single mum, she was just like, "Look, let's just chuck them into sport, kind of, <laughs> kind of give her a bit of a break." <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, it was cool because mum just said, "Try everything, and then find out what it is that you like, and then we'll just stick with that." And so for all of us, it was quite funny that we all kind of stuck to track netball and basketball. Obviously, it made it easier for mum, but it still gave us variety and to, you know, be learn what it's like being in an, in an individual sport, sorry, and then working as a team with netball and basketball. So, yeah, no, I think it all just started from three young girls just being super competitive and wanting to be better than <laughs> the other. And you end up making teams with them and the jealousy is still there because you're both in the team and <laughs> we all want the limelight. <laughs> your family. But um, no, I think we had an awesome upbringing. And yeah, like as you know, I started, I think netball was actually my number one priority as a kid and obviously making the team with you and Liz and Kate and stuff and then even my sister Liz. Mm. I honestly thought I just would never give it up and I'd keep going. And then I... You know, in 2012, I realized, oh, wow, the Olympics are in Rio in four years. I'd like to go to Brazil. So <laughs> I think that's, yeah. Just, <laughs> Your nipple's not yeah, very like, popular right. in South America, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Although I did hear that they're trying to um, bring it in for 2032, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, Netball Australia and World Netball have put in, I think, an official bid to have netball included as the demonstration sport for the 2032 Brisbane Olympics. I, I feel like they've got a pretty strong case. I don't know whether the gender equality piece in terms of netball uh, probably not having a men's or a mixed division could hold it back. Yeah. But I do think that, um, yeah, I think it's got some pretty good – some good backing so far, so maybe oh, we'd be a bit old sure then, wouldn't playing. we? Oh, I don't know about no, that. Never say never. <laughs> just gotta, never say never. Just hold on. I was doing an interview the other day and I said, yeah, maybe if I had, you know, some robotic knees or some new ankles, yeah. perhaps I'd be able to make it to 2032. Yeah. <laughs> Give me all the tendons, please. <laughs> I need everything. So I guess oh, you made, funny. yeah, we, Morgan and I did play um, in the Victorian state teams for a couple of years together before um, I guess you decided to pursue athletics. And talk to me, I guess, about, you know, seeing that opportunity to be in contention for the Rio 2016 Olympics and starting a plan of four years, which is quite a long time when you look at it from the very, you know, Rio de Janeiro is in the, the long, far distance and you set yeah. a path towards it and you never know what that path is going to have. I'm sure there were lots of twists and turns and a couple of hurdles, a couple of potholes. Yeah. It's never smooth, smooth sailing <laughs> or smooth driving. But talk to me about, yeah. I guess, that journey to your first Olympics and really, you know, setting a goal and being able to achieve it. Yeah, for sure. So I think Nationals, they were in Tassie that year and we won. I'm sure you remember. Mm -hmm. I love just, I love reliving <laughs> that moment. That was probably, that was, there's been a few netball highlights, but some of our underage tournaments, they're, you know, <laughs> oh my God. those memories are so special. I know, that was so much fun as well. <laughs> and um, that same year, yeah, so I, 
I remember for me it all stemmed from just like I wasn't really how would I explain it I didn't really like school definitely wasn't my number one priority sport was Mm. and I think deep down in my heart I just knew like I'd always wanted to go to the Olympics I loved running just as much as I'd love netball and as soon as I saw that ad for Rio as a host for the Olympic Games in 2016 it's like I just had this weird light bulb moment and I remember sitting in class like I, I really want to go. And I hadn't ran for about four years, right? So I called my coach that night, my old coach, Peter Burke, and I was like, hey, long time no speak, but do you want to coach me? I want to go to the Olympics. <laughs> and he laughed. Yeah, he laughed. And then I started laughing. But sure enough, he said, yeah, let's get this going. And um, yeah, so we did. In 2012, it was kind of cool because it was a really nice it was a nice journey. I made the world junior team that year in my first year back for the 400. Mm-hmm. And I just knew, I just became addicted to the lifestyle of like a track athlete and an, indiv- and an individual athlete, sorry. And meeting everyone on the team, we've all got the same goals. We all want to go to the Olympics. It kind of just kept me going. And I thought, okay, I'll give netball, I'll put netball on the back burner for a bit and I can always come back to it. I just really want to see how far I can get you know, with this whole athletics thing. And I just remember I came home from Spain, from Barcelona, the World Juniors, and I was like, yeah, I'm done. We're going to go, like, we're making Rio. I do not care. I'll put everything in that basket. And 2013, sure enough, I get injured. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I had to tell tendonitis, so I took a whole year off, and my sights were set on Com Games that year for athletics. And Mm -hmm. I just thought, okay, these are the stepping stones I need to take, like, you don't become an Olympian out of nowhere. You've kind of got to, you know, mix with the older girls, with the seniors. I was still a junior at that point. I've got to race more around Australia with girls that have the experience and that's how I'm going to build all the knowledge and experience moving forward. And that was the coolest part is like every year we'd write down three goals as to what I wanted to achieve. And I think just to see them, just to see us pull it off was just amazing for me because I didn't think, I I knew I could do it, but once you do it, it's like, wow. Like, it's quite mm-hmm. unbelievable. Like, did I really finally achieve my childhood dream of not only going to the Olympics, but being able to kick world champs and Commonwealth Games off in the um, meantime or in the lead up to it. And then, yeah, I got down to the Rio year and I remember thinking, okay, this is it. This is my year. And my first thing, the first goal I wrote down was one, qualify, mm-hmm. two, become national champion and three, have an undefeated season in Australia. And I just remember I have not been that locked into anything ever in my life. Like as a 21-year-old, <laughs> <laughs> most maturity I've ever shown, I think, as an elite athlete. And it, it was just so cool because it was like, tick, 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 we're on the team and we're going to the Olympics. You know what I mean? And mm. to have that childhood dream, I remember I, I wanted to go, like the first kind of, the five started when I was six. To finally tick that box of calling out myself an Olympian was just like, even now when I think about it, it's the most surreal feeling. You know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of like winning the lotto. Like you can only dream of winning the lotto, and then it happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be nice. Yeah, it's kind of like a WTF moment, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It was a definitely a rough four years, but also just probably the best four years of my life. Knowing like what it took to get there, and finally getting there, it was all worth it in the end. Oh, hundred so, percent. There's something so yeah. addictive about being able to set goals, not just ones, you know, setting goals just so you can tick a box, but setting things which are challenging for yourself and challenging for your team. And then being able to plan towards that and pull it off. You just feel like, how did that even happen? 
Yeah, 100%. And like, yeah, you know what it's like. You have people calling you crazy along the way that it's not going to happen, this, that, the other. So, yeah, when it actually, when you actually do it, it's like, F yeah. Sorry, I'm trying yeah. to swear. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, yeah, no, it's definitely worth all the swear words in anyone's vocabulary when you finally <laughs> qualify for the Olympics and then get to go and compete. And you just recently came back from Tokyo. So I guess Rio was such mm. an incredible experience for you. I mean, I'm sure there's so many stories about that as an Olympic experience. When I had Annabelle on the podcast the other day, she went to London before Rio and she spoke about, I guess, oh, wow. the differences from, you know, London was a very even different Olympics because she felt a lot safer there um, yeah, in terms yeah. of when you went to Rio, which is a significantly, I guess, more dangerous environment and, you know, a big scale event in a more mm. undeveloped nation and uh, city. But then you came back to Australia and you've come off the high of the Olympics and you're still running after Rio. Yeah. And where you're, you set your aim on Tokyo, did you think you were going to continue running in the 400 and was it just a matter of you know, a few setbacks in that event before you decided to change track or was there something else which, you know, made you choose a different event? Yeah, it's quite funny. Like, after Rio, I just thought, okay, we blew up in the semi-final. I was worth – I should have run 50 points. I should have made that final. Like, we were so ready. Yeah. And then my all flights just said on Tokyo. I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to go to Tokyo for the 400 and next time I'm not going to screw it up and – I'm going to run sub 50 and I'm going to win a medal. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's quite funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's like, yep, that's what I want to do next. And that's on my list of things. But, you know, again, a lot can happen even in a year, a year, two mm. years, three years. And in that time, I decided to find like with the high of Tokyo, I kind of just crashed mentally. I was like, okay, well, that was my childhood dream. But what now? Like, I, you know, it's kind of like you picked the ultimate goal. And I didn't really prepare for life after it. Like, yep. you think it's going to last forever. And, yeah, so I had two very rough seasons, 17 and 18, um, over the 400, where I just – I was not competing to the best of my ability. I parted ways with my coach. I was coaching myself. I lost my manager. Like, everything had happened. Everything yeah. that could go wrong went wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of 2018, I, I went on a massive European bender, pretty much, <laughs> after the Com Games. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I think I'm, I think I'm done with running. Like, I just, I'm not enjoying it. I can't see myself running fast over the 400 ever again. Like, I was just so upset with, you know, competing poorly, parting ways with my team, my mental health, being compared to, um, you know, Kathy Freeman, Australia's bloody icon. Yeah, and I just didn't want any of it. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, and I was only what twenty two, twenty three at the time, and then I kind of remember seeing Luke Matthews win. Well, I don't. I obviously remember he won a bronze medal at the Com Games, and he was being coached by his mum. And we grew up together, or right in the in the same area. And I went up to her and I was like, "Hey, Luke, will you? I'm going. I'm going away to Europe, but will you coach me when I get back? I want to try the eight hundred. Well, I really just want to get fit and see where we can take it, and I honestly just want to be happy again." And she kind of giggled. Everyone, <laughs> everyone laughed. <laughs> And she said, yeah, I'd love to. And as soon as I had, I think, two weeks with her, started two weeks with her at the end of August, started September in 2018, and my goals had just shifted after that. I was like, nah, Liz knows what she's doing. We're going to world champs for the 800 in 2019, and then I'm going to the Olympics for the 800. And it was just like the universe was really listening that day because sure enough, I spent so many days 
on end, just crying after sessions because they were so hard. Oh. Like the 800 is so much harder than the 400. But I knew it, it would all be worth it. And mm. it was just so cool to see, you know, we, we picked, I picked myself up, rebuilt my team, rebuilt my brand and was like, all right, I'm now an 800 runner and we're getting it done. And it was funny. There were so many people that were like, you're not going anywhere. You should stay as a 400 runner. You're wasting your time and your yeah. talent. Sure enough, you know, it gets to July and I qualify for the world champs in 2019 for the 800. <laughs> and then go. a year later, I'm on the team for Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, things didn't go to plan in Tokyo. I, I got injured. But mm. for me, it was like, how cool. Like sometimes, for me, like I forget that when you really do put your mind to things and when you really do have that deep feeling of self-belief, you can pull things off. Yeah. I just think blinkers on. It's all about me. Obviously, being in an, in an individual sport, it's about me and my team and you know, kicking the goals that we want and nobody else matters. So, yeah, that was for sure very, very, I don't know, it was just like a humbling experience. And, you know, I, I just for once was like, wow, I'm actually very happy with the sport. I'm very happy with myself again. It's just such a nice feeling and to have learnt so much along the way about what to do and what not to do and how to, you know, conduct yourself and how to carry yourself as an athlete both on and off the track. So, yeah, it was. It's, it's, honestly, the last five years have been very, very interesting. <laughs> There's lots of. Um, I think some people, you know, most of us as athletes are bigger than you know the sport or the event that we participate yeah, in. Sure. But it is really about what sport teaches you away yeah. from that specific thing, which is what I find so valuable as an individual and even when you work in collective groups. And I think your message of self-belief is something that lots of people would resonate with. You know, you in an individual sport, you have to put the eggs in your basket because that's what you have. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I don't know, it's, you always know as well, it's like someone out there that looks up to you is watching. Mm. And although people say, you know, like, be, uh, like yes, it is your own life and you should do whatever you want, but it's also, I'm very mindful of like, oh my gosh, there's probably another young boy or girl who wants to be like me or mm. who's too scared to take that next leap. And you kind of have to show people that it's okay to be strong, but it's okay to definitely be vulnerable as well because that teaches you so much about yourself mm. um, and helps you for like, you know, future endeavors and whatever have you. So, yeah. yeah and you being able to almost reinvent yourself and take that space to then be able to run full throttle at your Tokyo preparations for a completely different event and even picking a more challenging event. I think some people probably yeah. would see that and be like, uh, you know what, the 400's tough enough. I think, um, I think I'm good with that. But for you to say, you know what, actually, I'm going to try something that's even harder and something I might not be the best at now and be like, well, you know what, why not? Yeah, 100%. I mean, and that's the thing. I've always just said you don't know if you don't try. So mm. what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> so you are, I guess, very recognisable on the track for all of your achievements and, you know, being a dual Olympian now. But I guess talk to me about your life um, away from track and field. You've got a whole range of different things on the go. And I do think that you are an incredible role model, not just for women, but also for men about what it means, I guess, just to be more than an athlete. Oh, thank you. Um, that's so nice. <laughs> Jesus, I wasn't expecting that. Oh. Um, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I think, and that's, that's when I, for me it was after 2017 and 2018 when I realised all this pressure was being put on me just to be an athlete and focus on track. I think that's when I finally realised that there was more to me than just athletics. 
especially once people do fall off the face of the earth and want to part ways with you. Yeah. I was like, okay, they only understand more than Mitchell the athlete. And so I went to Europe and you know what Europe's like. It's an amazing place. And even just being able to travel, you learn so much about yourself in different cultures. And I finally realized like I came back with new goals even off the track and I thought, well, I'm halfway through my career. It is really time to start thinking about what else I want to do and what else makes me happy because athletics will only last, you know, eight to ten years and it's a small blip in my life. Um, so, yeah, I was like, well, you know, I like Spanish, so I'd love to learn Spanish. I, I love fashion, so I want to start a degree, start designing, team up with a company that will obviously take me on board to help design future collections. I am into media, so I'm working on that behind the scenes. And then I was also like kind of, I'm kind of into the modeling part as well, but I'm also into the production side of it. So I thought, okay, tick the box of yes, modeling's fun, but hopefully I can connect with the right people in the future to help with, you know, styling, back of house productions and all of that. And it just finally made me realize like, wow, there is so much more to athletes than just sport. And but being able to put, everything you learn from sport into other areas of your career is just as beneficial and it's so important to do so because, like I said, sport doesn't last forever. Mm. It's good to have a backup plan and it's really helped me, I, I guess, understand and realise my own self-worth. Like even, you know, coming out on the in the Olympic heat in the 800 really sucks and I cried a lot. Don't worry about that. But I finally realised, like, wow, my friends are still there for me, my family's still there for me. I've still got projects on the side that are just as important as the Olympics and that's okay. And if people don't understand that, that's okay as well because this is who I am as a person and these are the things that matter and these are my values. So that's one thing I do. I definitely have talked to other athletes about is like you have to understand your worth and you have to know that athletics or whatever sport it is or whatever it is that you're doing doesn't define you as a person and having other interests just keeps life fun. Like for me, as long as I'm having fun, I couldn't care less. <laughs> I think that's so important. <laughs> that's like one of my core values is to have, have fun. Happy. Well, you've only, 100%. Yeah, you've only got one life. You've got to live it. And that's something I've probably, I think I've struggled with is turn, you know, trying to find your identity um, mm. away from your sport. And, you know, with things that have happened in our sporting sphere, you know, most of us have had to relocate for extended periods of time and you do lose those other aspects oh, yeah. of your identity. And if, you know, the sport part of your life isn't going according to plan and you don't have, you know, other things to fill up your cup, it is really difficult, I think, to get the right balance to be in a good headspace to compete and to train to the best of your ability. Oh, for sure. And even like you said, filling up your cup, definitely like filling it up with the right stuff but then not overflowing it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like right balance. balance is so important as well. And I think that's where we got it wrong this year. I mean, it obviously showed, like, I was underdone on the Olympic stage because I was injured, maybe because I was, you know, too into everything else off the track, but it was such a good learning experience. And it's mm. like, okay, now let's try and shift that to get this balance right. Like, for me, it's all just about learning and growing, really. Yeah. Well, you are yeah. a very fashionable human being. I do <laughs> see you uh, rocking up to the VIS in kits, which are much more on trend than our Vixen's uniform, though. Our Vixen's kits are very nice. Thanks, Puma. But they're not really uh, top, not really uh, fashion forward, so I would say. They're not really cutting edge when it comes to <laughs> athletic apparel. Um, I guess maybe talk to me about like what sort of things do you look for in fashion? I guess you're talking about you know, being able to be involved more in the production side of the shoots you do. And I guess it's not too dissimilar to, you know, you being 
the athlete, but having a really good team around you, you know, it's about trying mm. to fit all those uh, pieces of the puzzle together to create some amazing content. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, I don't even know where it started. I think it started from mum. Like when she was younger, she was just so quirky and weird with the way she dressed that I, I was just so about it. Mm. I think she just taught me, she was like, you got to let people be people. And I kind of see that in fashion, like just let people dress how they want, regardless of what kind of style they're donning. It doesn't matter because as long as they're comfortable and happy, that's cool. And for me, I um, parted ways with Adidas and teamed up with Jagged. And I remember telling my manager, these guys are giving me my like free reign to curate my own collection. I do not care if Adidas come at me with $40 million. This is where I want to be. Like this is so much more important to me mm. <laughs> than money. Um, and for me, it's like, the thing I like about fashion is, especially with my collection coming up, is that I wanted it to be available for everyone of all shapes and sizes, yep. boys, girls, whatever whatever and whoever you are, you can wear it. Um, because the amount of times people have labelled my <laughs> fashion sense, they're like, you're kind of like a sexy tomboy. Like you're feminine but masculine, but we don't really know what it is. <laughs> I just love it because I'm like, yeah, I just kind of chuck on whatever I'm feeling. Like if I do want to dress more, I guess, feminine, then, yeah, I'm going to put on a wear a skirt and a top or a dress or whatever. But if I want to dumb it down, or not dumb it down, sorry, but, you know, kind of spruik it up with that tomboy element, I'm going to chuck on some Jordans with it and just roll with it. And yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to bring, especially to the sporting world, because, again, there are so many sides of athletes that people don't get to see because we usually do have to wear a select, you know, uniform and yeah. we all have to look the same and there's no real personality. So... That's one thing I'm definitely working on. Even I'd love to, like, you know, contact the AOC and say, look, Paris is about to be the Olympics of fashion. Let's try and look the part and give the athletes a little bit more than just green and gold. Let's give them stuff that other countries are envious of because it's so important. Like, you know what it's like. You look good and you feel good, and then you feel good, you compete. Yeah. Good. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, a lot of good in that. <laughs> no. But it's, it's, I, I think people forget how important it is, right? Mm. Like, to look the part and you look at the NBA players even, like, the way they strut their stuff walking into a game. It'd just be so cool to have more of that in Australian sport because there are so many athletes like me who actually do have a deep vested interest in yeah. areas of fashion. So it's something I'm working on, but, um, <laughs> you know, you've got to just really try and <laughs> you've got to talk to the right people and, you still hope those people actually do push the envelope a little bit further because it would be really cool to kind of see a bit of change, if I'm honest. <laughs> I think it would be amazing to see some change too and even hearing you express all of those thoughts probably brings things out in other athletes that probably haven't contemplated that before. You know, they wear the uniform mm. that they're, they're given and they, you know, we look like we're part of a team and there's probably a bit of a difference between individual athletes and people who are part of, I guess, a a team sport um but, yeah, you know, yeah. There's, there's room for you know personal expression there and one of the biggest oh, things sure. I find in a sport like netball and other team sports is sometimes because there's so many rules and it's also you know very competitive in terms of selection those factors sort yeah. of stifle some of that individuality but I think the yeah. sports need it to grow like to to become more popular you need personalities that viewers and audiences can grab onto and if the sport isn't yeah. encouraging that, it's never going to happen. No, and I think that's one thing I've realised with sport and with a lot of governing bodies in almost every sport, even just talking to a few of the other Olympic athletes. 
it's like, wow, they really forget to ask the athlete, the one that's out there providing the entertainment, what is it that you guys want? What is mm. it that you guys want to see more of? What is it that you guys want to wear? Because at the end of the day, we're the ones that have to get out there. <laughs> like, yeah. Please, it. riddle me this. Yeah, like why <laughs> are we not asking the athletes, you know, what is your favorite, like for netball, for example, like ask them, what is your favorite style of dress? What are your favorite colors out of the Vixen's color palette? What length do you all prefer? Like let's make you look like a team, but make you guys comfortable and happy and enjoying and believing in the product that you're actually wearing and promoting, right? Mm. Like, I don't know, to me it's just not rocket science because like when we get out there on the track, we – we're next to nothing. So even talking to Jagged, I was like, I need to feel comfortable. That's mm. number one. So let's start from there. Don't just give me something that you guys like. I still need to look good and feel good. And they're like, yeah, cool. All right. Well, let's get to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's so open-minded. I love it. Um, and if anyone's listening and they wanted to check out some of the stuff that Morgs has done, it's on your Instagram and it's um, it's pretty yeah. cool. And I guess Thank there's you. lots of young girls that are probably looking at getting involved in any sort of sport after watching the Olympics or just probably after COVID and being separated from their friends um, and, you know, teammates for so long. If you could flash back to when you were, I guess, a young uh, teenage girl there's lots of I guess social pressures that are put on us and especially about sports participation as you're sort of going through your later high school years especially I've got some really interesting insights from uh, Katie Rowe who is a senior lecturer from Deakin University in the sport management department and they have a lot of research that are talking about how girls who play sport might feel you know negatively judged for participating in certain sports so I guess, particular male-dominated sports, which track and field has a little bit of that, but probably not so much. But for me, I feel like there's this, you know, we obviously wear netball dresses and some of the track and field uniforms can be quite revealing. You know, some Mm. women might struggle with body image concerns when they're finding these uniforms to be, I guess, slightly revealing from a young age. I think something that I have found valuable when I've been playing is when you're growing up and I think you're competing in an elite level, that sort of goes out the window because you think of your body as a vessel to achieve, I guess, the goals that you're putting your mind to. Do you have any thoughts on that, I guess, about how you sort of navigated that journey from when you were playing netball to, you know, moving across to track and field and then onwards and upwards? Yeah, for sure. I think Oh, especially in high school, gosh, remember those days? (laughs) I mean, that was only a minute ago. I remember, like, I even had moments where I found it hard not wanting to compete or whatever because not only did I want to look, you know, obviously everyone wants to be part of that popular group or whatever, the group that's always partying, Mm. but I was also scared I'd be judged for, you know, saying no to parties because I did want to play sport, and that's what I found very tough growing up um, and then I just kind of realised I went back to what it was I wanted to do after high school and it was always sport and so I thought okay well mum's paying for it she's driving me there let's just give back and give it a go and she always just said more you don't know if you don't try just give it a shot because mm. all your friends are going to be down there you guys are going to have so much fun you know you get to travel into state like look at the opportunities and look at the bigger picture I think mum's like my biggest supporter so for me from a young age I kind of just listened to her because she's like my idol, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that was number one is just looking up to people that will give you the right advice and have this similar, a similar kind of outlook and goals mm. is so, so important um, because it kind of keeps you on, well, it kept me on track and I believe it does keep you on track. 
But then even in regards to like, yes, okay, we've made it, but now it is the body image thing of having to get out there in a dress or crop top and breathe. I I was the same as you. Like I, I still I still had moments where I was like, oh, am I too big? Am I too this? Am I my size? My you know chest? What you know my back is too broad? What am I doing? Should I just wear a jumper and call it a day? But then sitting down with the right people and seeing specialists like you know dietitians and psychs, it's totally okay to see them. Like I think that needs mm. to be normalised. It's not talked about enough, but they really do help you understand. Like you're at the elite level. You're here for a reason. Your aesthetics didn't get you here. It's your performance that got yeah. you here. So, you know, look at it from a performance point of view. You're here to, f- like, fuel your body right, train hard, and the results, every- like, everything else just kind of makes up for it. But there's no point in kind of dwelling on body image. I'm not, not saying that there's no point because it does happen naturally. Mm. But when you do look at the bigger picture and have goals related to times I want to hit on the track and in the gym, your body's just going to naturally form into the way it is meant to just to help you reach that. Yeah. Um, but then I also tell a lot of young athletes, like one thing I found was, okay, well, I don't want to wear a cop top today, so I'm going to wear a singlet and no one can tell me otherwise. I don't really care. You know what I mean? And I think there needs to – I'd like to see more options to make people comfortable just to kind of help with that transition to the acceptance. Like there's no shame in hiding away, but it's also okay to speak up and talk to people about it so you do become more comfortable in your own skin. Because that's the last thing we need people going through, right? Especially on the at the not even just the elite level, but it's kind of transitioning to want to get to the level that we're on. It's like you've got to be okay and happy with yourself and understand that yeah, we're just here for performance and that's all that matters. It's not the Victoria's Secret runway. Who cares? Let's go yeah. out and try and win. <laughs> it's all about performance. It's all about focusing on that. And I think that is a really important message because it helps take away a lot of these, you know, voices that yell at you from not actual voices, but from everything else that gets thrown at you in this modern day and age, which is almost unavoidable. So you just need to focus on what you want to achieve and the performance outcome. And that is what I think keeps a lot of people in the right headspace. Yeah, for sure. And just always having a good team around you that will just Mm. keep reminding you of it, really. Definitely. I think it's so important. Um, So what is next for you, I guess? Paris is only a couple of years away. Is that – you probably haven't – I'm sorry, I'm asking you already. I know you've just had some, you know, only a week (laughs) off to decompress from what has been a crazy five-year build-up. But um, are you thinking about it or are there a few other things you want to achieve that have got nothing to do with track and field? Who knows? Um. Paris is definitely on the cards, I mm. think, only because it is such a, well, it's like, yeah, three years away. Yeah. So I'd love to go for the eight and then try maybe again for the 400 relay or whatever have you to mm-hmm. see where life kind of takes me. But um, in the short term, I've got that collection in October with Jagged coming out. So that's probably like, that's definitely, that'll be, that was like the number one goal for me this year is making sure I nail that. Um, but the launch is kind of... <laughs> You know, it was meant to be in Sydney, so we're kind of looking at other places to have it at because I don't think Sydney's coming out of lockdown anytime oh, soon, unfortunately. Oh, it's so sad. I know. Um, but, yeah, in the meantime, it's kind of like I just want to get more experience on the international stage with the 800 because I think Tokyo was like my 22nd, 22nd or 23rd 800 ever. So wow. for me, it's like, okay. <laughs> on the biggest yeah, stage to, in track and field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we need to build... We need to build on that. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of slowly get more into media. Like, I just want to try more off-the-track stuff. And I was actually saying, telling this to a friend the other day when they were asking, what do you want to do? Another big bucket 
bucket list kind of thing for me is to be in a um, Disney movie, an animated Disney movie. Oh, my God, that would be amazing. <laughs> I know. My goals are massive. But, <laughs> but again, I just, I'm just all about fun. Mm. And I just think that would be so, so cool because I love Disney so much. So oh, Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should um, um, talk to the oh, ABC <laughs> about trying to get uh, voice role characters on Bluey because that's also a goal of mine. Everyone wants to be involved yeah. in Bluey. That would be so cool. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think I definitely would like to actually – so they're like my personal ones, but one – I do have goals where I'd like to give back to the community, so working more in that space of like I don't know, helping disadvantaged kids and then, you know, getting giving back to the Indigenous community and – you know, providing a safe space for women to grow into, like, absolute superstars. There's, like, a few things that I do want to do off the track as well to kind of, like, I guess give back a bit of my knowledge and experience to others who may be struggling or have similar goals and just don't really know how to get there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, a big, a big three to five years coming up <laughs> for sure. Well, it's going to be exciting. So I hope you enjoy, I guess, the rest of your downtime before things start up again and also just, I guess, closing a door on Tokyo and what has been, you know, the last however many years build up and almost starting afresh like you did after Rio and setting those goals and working towards them and achieving them because, you know, seeing you do that inspires so many others to set goals and work towards them. And I think it's really exciting to see what's in the future for you and hopefully some of those kind of fun uh, maybe Paris Olympic outfits. They definitely – they're very traditionalist, aren't they? Even the Commonwealth Games uniforms, yeah. there are. <laughs> there's a bit of room for movement there and there's room for change. So thanks for coming on Finding Your Fearless, Morgs. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. See you around the gym sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode nine of Finding Your Fearless, a Melbourne Vixens podcast hosted by Joe Weston. Finding Your Fearless is presented by Deakin University. Just like the Vixens, Deakin University is fearless in its approach to learning, which is why every single course is backed by industry experts. Deakin University, progressive real world learning.